Just take a brief second to remind everyone of the series that we're in and where we're going with this and why. And then I'll introduce our speaker for the evening. Um, back three or four weeks ago when I preached on the parable of the talents in the Mass that day, uh, it really struck me how Christ began that. You know, I've always seen this, but for some reason it struck me. The kingdom of God is like... And he tells a parable that would show the people in a way that they could understand, but would also stretch them to understand, which is what parables do, to show what his kingdom is like to reveal it. We figure he is the king of the kingdom. He might have something to say about this we need to pay attention to and align ourselves to. Uh, Deacon Peter last week did a wonderful job setting the stage for us to remind us of the idea, the teaching of the church as to what true repentance really is. That it's not just about turning away from sin, even though that's part of it. It is about becoming as well. That we become back, we come back to our true created self as those filled with God, growing in His image and likeness. So that was last week setting the stage. From this point on, we actually get into the parables that Jesus begins, the kingdom of God is like. And tonight we're going to begin with the parable of the unforgiving service, uh, servant. Excuse me. And Father Chrysostom Arthur, uh, number one, he's become a wonderful friend of mine. And I love he and his wife uh, very dearly. Uh, he teaches theology for our, uh, all ages except the littles that do just Bible. But he teaches theology at our classical school. Uh, he is attached uh, to the altar at St. Seraphim Cathedral in Dallas. Okay. And I'm, that's what I'm going to give you about him. If he'd like to say anything else, that would be fine. But... but uh, I think we're going to enjoy hearing about this parable from him. Thank you so much for taking time to share our Lord with us tonight through this. Can everybody hear me? I know I'm mic'd now. Um, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a joy to be here with you this evening. Um, I'm very happy Father Mark asked me to come. It's nice to be in this setting. Uh, usually I'm sitting over there at that table uh, policing children during lunch. <laughs> um, so this is a little different for me in this room. Um, but it, it, it is a joy to be here, and uh, I would say that Father Mark has become a good friend as well uh, in my time here. I've been at the school almost three and a half years now, so I can't believe it's been that, that long already. <laughs> um, and then, like you said, I teach fifth through twelfth grade uh, Bible and theology. Um, so we do Bible with the, the younger ones, fifth through about eighth or ninth grade, and then we start theology in high school, so the basic Orthodox theology. Um, and I am attached to St. Seraphim Cathedral in Dallas. I've been a priest about a year and a half. So actually, I started teaching here. I was a layman when I started teaching here, and the kids got to change calling me Deacon Chrysostom and then uh, Father Chrysostom about a year and a half ago. Um, and Father Mark asked me to come and speak today about the parable of the unforgiving servant. So first of all, I want to go ahead and read the passage for you, read the parable. Uh, it comes from Matthew chapter 18, Verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king who would take account of his servants and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him who owed him ten thousand talents. For as much as he had not to pay, 
his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So this is a long, long passage, and there's, there's a lot to, to break down in here. So I want to break up this passage into to shorter sections. Uh, and while doing this, I want to look in particular uh, what two great saints of the church have to say about this passage. Uh, my namesake, St. John Chrysostom, and also the blessed Theophylact of Okrid uh, near Bulgaria, Serbia. Uh, and let's look at what they have to teach us about this passage. So first we'll begin with the first two verses, verses 21 and 22. This is his interaction with Peter at the very beginning. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I shall not unto thee until seven times, but unto seventy times seven. So first we might think, how does Peter come up with this this seven times, right? Where does he come up with this number? Uh, it's possibly, possibly this was because uh, many of the rabbis of Peter's time had suggested that three was the maximum number um, of times a man must forgive the same offense. So the rabbis taught that up to three times you had to forgive someone. After that, you didn't have to forgive them anymore. So Peter probably doubled that number, six, and then added to it seven. So he thought he was uh, showing off how spiritual and great he was by offering this the seven times. It was way more than the, than the three times, right? Uh, so what was Jesus' response to that? Uh, well, he was not impressed with the number seven, was he? Uh, he comes back at Peter, who must have been shocked at Jesus' response, uh, with the number 70 times seven. Um, we know that literally does not mean 490 times, right? Um, it just meant a very high number, an infinite number of times we should forgive, is what Jesus meant by that number. <clears throat> In fact, St. John Chrysostom says that when Jesus says 70 times 7, he's not limited, uh, he has not limited the forgiveness by a number, but has declared that it is to be perpetual and forever. So you should always forgive. St. John goes on to tell us that the Lord continues immediately with the parable of the unforgiving servant. So that's the, the meat of what we're going to talk about. Uh, and he gives this parable to remind Peter and us 
uh, that our own forgiving of others isn't even a drop in the ocean compared to how much God loves us and forgives our own sins. All right, so let's continue with verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of the heavens likened unto a man who was a king, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Blessed Theophilac tells us that just like the king in the parable is beginning to settle accounts, Christ has also come, and he settles accounts with his servants as a good judge. So we already see here this comparison of real life to this parable. The parable is there to teach us something about our own life. It's not just a fun story. Um, And Christ is this king who's coming to settle accounts. Uh, Now on to verse 24 and 25. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Okay, so what is this 10,000 talents? That doesn't mean much to us in this day. 10,000 is a big number, right? But uh, $10,000 today isn't, you know, a huge amount. There's a lot of people who have $10,000 in debt, and they live their lives just fine, right? Um, it's actually an astronomically large amount of money. In today's figures, it would be in the billions of dollars. Uh, for some perspective, the total taxes collected in all of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea around the time of Christ equaled about 600 talents. So all the taxes collected in all of those regions all put together was 600 talents. And here we're talking about 10,000 talents. So this is an unbelievable amount of money that he would never be able to pay back to this king. Uh, So the point is that the servant owed an impossible amount to pay back. Uh, This is where we begin to get into the meat of the parable. The king's answer to the problem, selling off uh, the slave and all of his family to cover the debt, Uh, can look very callous and inhumane to us. But St. John Chrysostom tells us that it's obvious from the story that the king never actually intended to sell off the slave and his family. It was really just a threat to bring the slave to his senses about the seriousness of his debt uh, in order that he might repent. So he's trying to get him to repent. So he's, he's reminding him that, you know, this is a big deal. St. John says that the king's threat and then forgiveness also had the purpose of making the slave more mild toward his, toward his fellow servants. So teaching him a lesson about forgiveness of others. Uh, for these verses, the Blessed Theophylact also reminds us uh, that we are the slave in the story. And it is us who owes an unimaginable debt to God. So now we move on to verses 26 through 27. The servant therefore fell down prostrate before him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Here, St. John Chrysostom tells us that we see an example of the greatness of the true goodness shown because the servant had only asked for a delay in repaying the debt. But the king had such great compassion that he gives more than asked for and most likely more than ever hoped for. He completely wipes out the debt. So he gives more than what the servant even asked for. The servant's just asking for a delay in repayment, but the king forgives him all. So why not just forgive him from the beginning? Why does he make him beg? We mentioned this a little bit already. 
St. John tells us it's because the master wanted to give his servant a chance to play a small part in his gift to the slave that he might have at least some part to play in his own exoneration. Although the gift of forgiveness was totally not deserved, the slaves following, falling down and begging did play a part in moving the king to compassion. St. John tells us that this was all for the purpose of helping the slave uh, not to feel ashamed to accept the gift of forgiveness. Right? So he knows that he had some part to play because he asked for it. Right? So he doesn't feel ashamed to accept it because he, he might if he had not asked for it. Right? Uh, and to teach him how to treat his fellow servant in similar situations. Like we mentioned, he's, he's teaching him a lesson about forgiveness. Of course, this is all a parable speaking about our relationship with God. Like we said, Blessed Theophilac speaks clearly about this uh, when he writes about these verses. Behold the power of repentance and the Lord's love for mankind. For repentance caused the servant to fall down prostrate before the king and cease from wickedness, since he who stands firmly in wickedness cannot be forgiven. In his love for man, God forgave the debt entirely, although the servant was not asking for complete forgiveness of the debt, but for an extension of time in which to repay it. Learn, therefore, that God gives more than we ask for. His love for man is such that even what seems to be severe, the command for the servant to be sold, God did not speak out of severity, but to terrify the servant in order to induce him to fix all his hope on entreaty and supplication. But we know the story doesn't end here. Uh, St. John reminds us that up to this point, the servant was good and acceptable because he confessed and promised to pay his debt and fell down before his master and entreated and condemned his own sins. And he knew and understood the greatness of his debt. So, so far, he hasn't even been condemned at all by the king. He hasn't even, he hasn't been called wicked yet, right? Uh, But next, everything seems to take a turn for the worse. The servant seems to quickly and almost immediately forget the great mercy and grace he was just shown as we move on to verses 28 through 30. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who who owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Here, Blessed Theophilact comments that when it says the servant went out, it says he went out, it means that he did not remain with his master, that is to say God, and that when you depart from God, You're now a stranger to him, and it's no longer possible for you to have compassion on others. The natural consequence of this was his reaction with his fellow servant. That we just read. He did not have compassion. He threw him into prison. St. John points out for us the irony of the servant not recognizing his fellow servant using the exact same words that he had just used in begging mercy from the master. St. John writes, He did not regard even the words by which he had been saved, for he himself on saying this was delivered from the 10,000 talents and did not recognize so much as the harbor by which he escaped shipwreck. 
The gesture of supplication did not remind him of his master's kindness, but he put away from him all these things, from covetousness and cruelty and revenge, and was more fierce than any wild beast, seizing his fellow servant by the throat. St. John goes on, What doest thou, O man? Do you not perceive you are making the demand upon yourself? Thou art thrusting the sword into yourself and revoking the sentence and the gift. But none of these things did he consider. Neither did he remember his own state. Neither did he yield, although the entreaty was not for equal objects. All this is to say that by not accepting his very own words from someone else in need of him, he was bringing the sentence upon himself. But all of this doesn't mean that others haven't taken a notice as well. Um, Others also saw his wickedness, and we'll see that as we move on to verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorrowful and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. St. John points out that what his servant has done is not only obviously displeasing to God, but also to men. And the Blessed Theophilact even says that the fellow servants in this verse actually represent the angels who watch over us and are angered by man's wickedness toward each other. So not only is he bringing the consequence upon himself, but everybody else around him is seeing what's happening. And moving on now to verses 32 through 34. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all his debt. I think it's important to notice here that this is the first time the servant is called wicked. The Lord did not even call the servant wicked when he was accounting his debt, like we said. He was accounting for his sins, but forgave the servant. And now that the servant has been unforgiving himself, now he is called wicked. He was not called wicked during his repentance, but now he has become wicked when rejecting the repentance of another. It's amazing to me that what St. John recognizes first in these verses is that the Lord is actually being gentle in his rebuke of the servant. The Lord reminds the servant of the great mercy he had been shown and reminds him that he should have had mercy on his fellow servant likewise. St. John is careful to point out to us that it is actually not the fault or doing of the master that the servant is now punished, but is punished because of his own actions. So in both the cases of mercy and rebuke, we see that the servant is the one who has actually opened himself up or closed himself off to the Lord's mercy by his actions. So it was because of his repentance that he was forgiven, and now it was because of his wickedness, his unwillingness to forgive, uh, that he's punished. So it's his own actions. The Lord um, wanted to forgive him, but he was not able to because of his actions. The Blessed Theophilact also confirms this idea when he writes that the master in his love for mankind takes issue with the servant to show that it is not the master, but the savagery and the ingratitude of the servant that has revoked the gift. It was the servant 
going out from God, forgetting God, forgetting the gift that he had just been given that causes the gift to be revoked. And now finally, let's look at verse 35, our final verse. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Theophylact reminds us to really try and understand what Christ is teaching here, is that God sees and sees the remembrance of wrongs as a truly great evil, and it causes God to revoke his gifts. But that God is not sorry he gave us the gifts in the first place. He doesn't repent of the gifts that he gave us. The revoking is just the natural consequence of our own wickedness, of the servant's own wickedness. Both Theophylact and St. John point out that Christ says, my father, in that verse, not your father, to show that those who do not forgive have no part in having God as their father. So might skip over that if you're reading it, right? So let me read that verse for you again. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So he says, my Father here and not your Father, because those who had done this had no part with God the Father. I think St. John sums up this, the message of this parable beautifully when he writes, Two things, therefore, does he, meaning God, here require, both to condemn ourselves for our sins and to forgive others, and the former for the sake of the latter, that this may become more easy, for he who considers his own sins is more indulgent to his fellow servant, and not merely to forgive with the lips, but from the heart. Let us not then thrust the sword into ourselves by being vengeful. This last part about thrusting the sword into ourselves seems to be a recurring theme in St. John's commentary on this passage. He reminds us more than once that it is we who are condemning ourselves when we don't have mercy or when we take vengeance on our fellows. Let us not waste this gift of forgiveness by not forgiving and not having mercy on those around us, thereby thereby thrusting the sword into our own hearts. I hope we can all take this parable with us during what remains of this Lenten journey, this time of concentrated repentance, when we are bringing to mind all the debt we owe to God and striving always to remain in Him. Amen.